You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 33. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I have to say, I kind of feel like it's a special day because we're talking with Joy Cho of Oh Joy. For those of you who may not know Joy, Joy's a very well-known graphic designer, blogger, and business owner that has designed for a variety of freelance projects and even has her own line in Target like Kate Aaron's from the last episode last week. In today's episode, we're talking with Joy about blogging and business because when I asked people for the weeks leading up to this interview what I should talk to Joy about, unequivocally, they always asked me to ask her questions about blogging and business. Since she's actually written books on these subjects, it's no surprise. And today I'm trying to share with you some new insights you may not have heard from Joy through her books or through interviews in the past, but also help you get to know Joy, the person behind the brand, even better as well. In this episode, we'll talk about why Joy chose to take her contributors off of her blog and write from her own point of view instead. We'll talk about her experience with gestational diabetes with her second pregnancy and what this has taught her in her own personal life so far, the biggest pieces of advice that Joy gives for creatives and new bloggers, and we'll talk about the hard parts of blogging for Joy, the things that as an established blogger that she's struggling with day to day. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, Joy, for coming on the show. I have literally wanted to have you on the show since I began seven months ago. Thanks, Jess, for having me. Let's get started with your background and talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Sure. I started my career in 2001 after graduating from Syracuse University with a degree in communications design, which is basically graphic design. It's something that I knew I was super interested in in high school. I I loved art. I loved making things, but I also wanted to do something that I knew I could be creative at for a long time and had the staying power. And so graphic design was sort of seemed like a good fit, but I wasn't hundred percent. So that's why I went to a school that wasn't necessarily hundred percent art focused, just in case I changed my mind, decided to do something totally different and become a geneticist or something like that. <laughs> so I, I went to school, loved graphic design, left with a degree in that and started my career in New York in 2001. I had a job at a boutique advertising agency where I got to design stuff for a ton of fashion clients. And really that was the beginning of my love of fashion and being surrounded by that world. And that parlayed into a job at Cynthia Rowley designing for her swell line, which was one of the first designer collections at target in 2004. And that solidified my love of designing products. So this is not your first time in target basically. No, it's not. I mean, at the time I was a designer for another brand. So it was where it wasn't under my name or anything, but it was, I was a junior designer. I was working for their brand. I was getting to design so many things. So that was, yeah, that was a great taste for me. And it really was one of those things that put in the back of my head, like later in life, I want to do this. But, you know, really for me, the change from the first job to the second job was really transitional and really important because it showed me that while I love to design, I really wanted to design more for people, regular people and things and products and things they could use and could wear and put in their everyday life. And that as a graphic designer, the nice thing about being a graphic designer, I find is that it can be very flexible of a job. And 
there's so many things you can design. So it really allowed me to be able to shift the actual things I designed. And it's a much different path than I had planned for in school. It's also allowed me to shift my path, you know, even beyond that. So in 2005, I had left New York and moved to Philly where I'm, I'm from, but also my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, was starting his residency and we'd been doing long distance for six or so years. And it was just time to live in the same city. Six years. Yeah. That's a yes, long time. Yes. Um, well, actually, no, I should say it was actually almost 10 years. We were we were together for almost 10 years before we got married. And so I finally moved so that we could sort of get engaged and get married and all that stuff. And I was looking for a job. I wanted to work at Anthropology because that's, they're based in Philly and it was sort of my next dream job. And, you know, I interviewed with them. It went well. They liked me, but they didn't necessarily have a position open for exactly what I wanted to do. So I just kept looking around. I started freelancing and a friend of mine suggested I start a blog. And this is 2005 now at this point where there weren't really a ton of blogs. There was Design Sponge and there was Apartment Therapy. And they weren't even ones that I at the time really knew about, but started to discover them and just started to see. And I remember Design Sponge was one of the first ones I saw. And grace back then it was still a hobby for her too and it was it was just a thing that people were dabbling in and so I was like okay well I have ideas I have things to share and while I was looking for a job and still being a creative person trying to keep things going in my head I just figured I would share things I was interested in and but within six to six months to a year I think that's when I realized that people started reading it that I could just make it a very visual place and that other people cared to see what my inspirations were besides my own. So it was sort of a great way to have a public scrapbook in a way. And it's, I think it's a way that a lot of bloggers happen to start. It's a lot of times by hobby and by accident. But because back then nobody knew what a blog would become, they didn't know the potential of it. And so it was definitely a very happy accident in my mind and it allowed me to be able to get clients that way. And I ended up starting my own design business rather than getting a job somewhere else. And so that was a path that I never expected to have. I kind of always thought I would go up the ladder in the graphic design world from junior designer to senior designer to art director to creative director and kind of like what they teach you, or at least I was taught in school is just the way that you do it. People didn't didn't back then really talk about starting your own business and how you might just do that from scratch. You always assumed you had to go to business school or you had to do something super serious to be able to figure out how to do that. But a lot of times learning on your own is what ends up happening. And that to me was, I think the best change and the best um, change of course in my career. Since starting that blog and taking it full time, you've obviously grown leaps and browns even in that space. So do you mind going into a little bit of the specific milestones you think you've hit to get you to the place where you have a staff and you have a studio and all of those things? Sure. I mean, it's definitely been a work in progress. I mean, I have had my business since 2005. So now we're at almost 2015. So it's been almost 10 years. And it started off certainly being me as a freelancer, sitting at home, working from home. And for the most part, I was working from home up until last year. So for the first eight years of my business, I worked from home. The nice thing about the type of business that I had is there was very little overhead. All I needed was a computer, maybe a printer, and stuff that I kind of already had from working as a designer. It wasn't something that required a bunch of upfront costs. And so it was pretty easy to get started. 
and I, I loved, you know, I loved sort of being alone. I got very used to being alone. I got used to kind of being the one to have to make all the decisions. And once I sort of got used to that, I was like on a roll for a long, 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 long time. And then certainly there are parts in my career when the blog picked up, I would say a few years in when the blog started becoming a bigger part of the Ojoy brand. It was, I always, always since the beginning have had both the, the design work and the blog and multiple things. I've never been hundred percent a blogger or hundred percent a designer. It's always been a mix of things. And to me, that's my preference because I like doing a lot of different things, but it got to a point where the blog was growing. I had brought on some contributors and I was sort of doing the more editorial calendar version of a blog where there were different columnists and there's different posts and I had five different freelancers each responsible for a custom column that would go up every day of the week and that was something that was a model that I did for a few years and then after the time that my daughter was born I decided to what I call take it back and it just felt like it was the time for it to all come from me again and I'd be the one to have the voice behind every blog post and not do quite as many I I, I narrowed it down from three times a day back to one time a day and just felt like that was a time for me to get a little bit more personal as well about being a mother and about the juggle between motherhood and my business and all of that. What's interesting about that is that it's probably, I think, because I've obviously been following you at least since 2009 when I started reading blogs and becoming a blogger myself. I believe you worked on your own before and you had the editorial calendar contributor concept and then you hired a staff (laughs) and went and took the blog all back to yourself. It's kind of an interesting, you had more people at that point, but the blog was just yourself, which is kind of the inverse of what you had in a way before. Exactly. I mean, the way I did it was kind of the opposite of even what I tell people to do. I mean, I wrote a book about blogging called Blog Inc. And I, you know, when we talk about growing in the very last chapter, I talk about how the next sort of natural thing, if your blog is growing and you can't handle everything anymore and you want to offer content that you're not necessarily an expert at, is that you get contributors. And I I still think that that model works for a lot of people and can still work for a lot of people. It just really depends because blogs have changed so much these days and because there's so many different kinds and some are very specific and some are very broad and some are lifestyle and some are DIY, whatever the category is. There's just so much more room for different models that to me work in different ways. Now, even though all the posts come from me, I I have a team that still helps. It's just a different kind of a thing. Before those posts would be mostly worked on by outside freelancers. You know, I would art direct, they would know what their their specific job was and what they were working on. I would approve and nothing would go up without my approval, but it might come in their voice and their name would be on it. Whereas now um, my team, since we're all together, we will concept things. I'll art direct and we'll creative direct and then we'll concept things together and I still need to prove everything before it goes up. And, but then at the end of the day, I sort of write the post and make sure it goes back in my voice, but yet everyone has still contributed, whether it's styling or producing or crafting or photography there. I, those are not all things that I can do all by myself and while getting all of this content up. So I rely on the team of people to be able to help me who are stronger at me in different areas than I could do all by myself. And so to me, it's still important to have people. I think it's very hard to be one person and do a lot of things. And that's sort of one of the the big tips I always say in life is just help is so essential because as much as you want to do everything yourself, it's impossible, especially if you have a lot of 
goals and things you want to do, that help is, you know, there's nothing that can replace it. So my model has changed, but it doesn't mean that I do every single thing 100% on my own. I still rely on the help of other creative people around me. And then why did you decide to keep the voice specifically your own after doing the contributor model? Well, I think just because when I get, when I talk about personal things, when I talk about my daughter or being a mother or anything that is personal, it just feels a little bit weird for me to go from a very personal place to then having someone else's voice on there talking about something completely different. If we're going to go from a personal post to a recipe or a DIY, to me that's okay because it's all lifestyle. It's all within the Ojoy vision and the things that I would like to share with people and fill their lives with. But as long as the voice is still coming from one place, it feels that helps to unify that lifestyle content. And it, again, it, it's different for everybody. I don't think that, that the way that I do it is necessarily the way that everybody should, but it's just sort of what is comfortable for me and what makes sense. I think that when you're working on your blog, there is a little bit of, well, what would my readers like? But there's also, you know, how do I want to approach this and what would make it the most fun for me, the most interesting for me? Because at the end of the day, we're all blogging for the sake of loving it and for wanting to share things with people. So you have to be able to keep creating things that you want to create and not feel like it's a chore. Recently, you shared on your blog that with your second little girl that you have gotten gestational diabetes. Can you explain what that is and what that's been like? Oh, yes. It's sort of like a recent, uh, definitely a sad day for me. (laughs) So when you are pregnant and Granted, please don't quote me on this as like a complete scientific doctor answer, but how I'm translating it into layman's terms, but um, your hormones affect your glucose levels. And when you eat sugar and the way your body processes it, your hormones affect the way that your body is processing that sugar. So when you're pregnant, you take this test right around 28 to 30 weeks and you have to drink this uh, syrupy bottle of liquid after you've been fasting. It's like really gross. It's pretty gross. It just tastes like flat soda, flat like orange soda. And they make you fast and you drink it and they test your blood and they just see how your body's reacting to it with just that sugar. So the first time around when I had my daughter Ruby, I passed. No big deal. This time I failed the first test. My levels were too high. They used to take a three-hour test where you fast and then they make you drink that, that sugary drink again and they take your blood every hour for three hours to see how your body responds, not only right at the beginning, but also for the next few hours. And I failed again. And failing just means that the the numbers that my blood sugar tested at, or that my blood tested at later was just above average and above where they would like you to be. So what that means then is that you have gestational diabetes and that it's not diabetes that you necessarily will have forever, but have it right now and through the end of your pregnancy. And for the safety of yourself and for the baby, it's just good to monitor your diet and cut out carbs and and high levels of sugar. Now, what I've learned, so I had blogged about that because for me, you know, I blog about personal things. I don't blog about everything personal. There's lots of things I have not shared. But when there are things that are new to me, things that I know that other people have probably gone through that um, as a community, it's just great to talk about. I think to me, it's mutually beneficial. I love being able to get feedback from my readers about it. And I also love being to share with them. Well, hey, my life isn't perfect. You know, I 
unfortunately have this this thing that's happened during my pregnancy and whatever other complications have happened as well. And so I think for all of us, it's just a great conversation to have. So I had mentioned it in a blog post and, you know, I was really overwhelmed and touched by the number of people who not only were supportive and were understanding, but they also had gone through it as well. Cause it made me realize, okay, I'm not alone. I didn't do something terrible to screw up, but you know, will be, you know, hopefully a healthy baby. But once you get under under control, once you meet with a nutritionist, which is kind of the first step, everybody responds differently to the and to the way that you need to modify your diet. There are some people who need to cut out a lot of carbs pretty much altogether, and it's it's a it's a it's a real diet in a sense. With me, I've been testing my blood four times a day. You have to do it in the morning, and then three times later after your main meals. And I've realized certain combinations of foods that I can eat and that it's okay and my um, my blood level stays in the correct range and I've realized certain combinations of things that I shouldn't eat at certain times of days like pretty much no all carb types of meals especially not in the morning um, there's other little tricks and you know lots of people have picked up on things like you don't milk is has a lot of sugar fruit has a lot of sugar juice has a lot of sugar so anything with like high levels of sugar either cut those out or make sure you eat them with protein. If anything, it's been a good wake-up call because I am lucky to have the type of metabolism where I have not had to really diet much of my life. I've always just exercised to maintain my weight, and I've always enjoyed eating and indulging and eating desserts, and I maintain everything with exercise. But this was the first time that someone told me I actually had to go on a diet, and so I was super sad by it. But at the same time, it was a good wake-up call because, you know what, I've definitely gotten lazy. Um, you know, my office in the morning, if I didn't cook something at home before I left for work, I'd grab a bagel and cream cheese and just stuff that's like easy foods, but not good foods. And so it's made me eat more vegetables. It's made me eat more protein. It's definitely made me just try and eat the way that I would tell my children to eat or that I would, that I would cook for them, but that I wasn't necessarily following that on my own. So I think it's sort of a blessing in disguise. I mean, these are the kinds of things I think come along in your life where you curse it and you're like why is this happening to me and it seems super annoying but whatever change it brings upon you is usually a good thing because hey I mean who couldn't benefit from eating a little bit healthier right and really it's an only I mean at this point I have seven weeks left of my pregnancy so it's not that much longer and at the same time you know what I've actually I felt great I have more energy not eating quite as much carbs and I think making me eat healthy is just it's good for our whole family my husband's also going on the diet with me and he's like, hey, I'm going to do it with you. We'll be, we'll be hungry together. But, <laughs> but, and he's like, Hey, I really lost three pounds. I was like, sweet. Good for you. You're losing weight while well, I'm, I'm still gaining weight because I have a baby in here. <laughs> Is there anything that you're really looking forward to eating when the baby comes? Yeah. Like just a big old scoop of ice cream or pie or cake, like just a really big dessert that I don't have to worry about eating just a little bit or what I'm eating with it, just sort of like the thinking about it, I think, and analyzing what it's going to do to my blood sugar. That's what I'm looking forward to. And then also sushi, which is just such obvious pregnant lady craving that most people don't let themselves have. I want all of that. So this is kind of interesting. Right as you were answering that question, you said, you know, I, I don't share everything. Sometimes I choose to. What do you think people don't really know about you and your life that they could help them gain a greater understanding of who you really are? 
I think it's that I'm really sensitive and this isn't necessarily a secret, but it's something that I dealt with for my whole life. And when I say sensitive, I don't necessarily mean sensitive in the way, like talking about the compassionate part of being sensitive. Yes. I would like to say I'm a compassionate person and sensitive that way, but I mean, sensitive in my feelings. I think my feelings can get hurt very easily and very quickly. When I was a kid, I was known as the kid who cried a lot. You know, if someone told me something mean or called me stupid or called me a name, I would just cry. And luckily I don't still do that now, but in, in a bigger way, in the way that my work goes down or constructive criticism happens on the internet or criticism, maybe not as constructive, that stuff, all processes within me, I think I take it a little bit harder than most people. Now, the, the difference is I put on this exterior that it doesn't bother me because I don't want it to bother me. And I know that there are certain things in life that if people say or if people have something to say about you or criticize you or don't like what you do, it really doesn't matter. I know that in theory, but it doesn't mean that it still doesn't bother me. I mean, I've certainly had moments where I've gotten negative comments about things that I've done or people or blog posts or sponsored things. And to be honest, it affects me. I think about it for a really long time. Sometimes I comment back if I feel like I have something I can say that will make that conversation more helpful. But a lot of times I know that whatever I say will never make that person happy. And so I, I have to leave some things and let them be, but it really does hurt me. I mean, I've had moments where I've cried about certain things and my husband has to be, has to remind me that it's sort of part of being public with what you do and the type of work that I do that is sort of just living on the internet. And we can certainly go into that more, but in general, I'm, I am a very sensitive person. So I think that my friends even don't necessarily know that they don't know that I want to know if they are liking what I do or that I want to be congratulated. Like I definitely feel like I'm one of those people who I like to hear that people think I'm doing a good job, but I don't ask for that. And so it's very hard. I can be kind of like, I can kind of be a tough friend to have. And my friends have told me this. They say, you know, you act like everything's fine all the time and you act like things are great. We'd feel like you have no problems. And it's like, well, it's kind of just the way I grew up. I was taught not to show that I have weaknesses or show that there's anything wrong. And that's certainly something that I don't love about myself that is the case. But at the same time, it's it's partially cultural and it's partially the way that I grew up. So I don't know any different, but I always tell my friends and people who are close to me, I say, listen, I will tell you pretty much anything if I trust you and if we're friends, but you have to ask me. I don't just open up super easily. I really have to be asked and then I will give you the world and I will tell you everything I know. And it's funny because in comparison, I love giving advice to people. And I consulted for a very long time, for a few years, to other business owners. And that, I will tell you anything. I will tell you my mistakes. I will tell you the things that I did wrong so that it can help to fix you, but I think, um, or it can help other people in the future. So for me, I love learning from my own experiences and love being able to give advice to other people, both personally and professionally. But for myself, I have a hard time sort of getting to that point of, opening up until somebody, unless somebody really is like sitting there with a little hammer, like cracking at it, like, all right, Joy, like, tell me all of this. And then I will, I will share the world with you. (laughs) That's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. I think that does give us a really interesting insight into Joy the person rather than, oh, Joy the brand. 
Absolutely. Okay. You also mentioned the prescription services, which you did. Yes. And I'm sure there are many, many people listening here that do have their own businesses and want to hear from Joy. So have you found any specific theme or one big thing that you found yourself saying most often to the small business owners you worked with that you could share for the audience in general? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, obviously it's, it's tough to give super broad advice, not knowing exactly what people do. I, when I did do consulting, I made sure it was very personal and I knew their story ahead of time. But in general, there's a few things I think that I like to make sure people know of regardless. Number one is to stay true to who you are. I, at a very early time when I was in the first few years of my career, I really tried to be everything to everyone. Um, and it depends on what your job is for sure. But as a graphic designer, I was often taught, okay, well, you should be able to do a lot of different styles. You should be able to design for men and for women and for low end and for high end and all this stuff. And you should be able to design websites because that's really marketable right now. And so I, I tried to do all of that stuff, but what it came down to were there were certain things I just liked doing and that therefore I was better at. The things that you like doing are always going to be the things that you're better at. And therefore those are the things that are going to shine in your portfolio or in the way that you show your work. And so for me, I really feel like now granted, I can't speak to every single career in the entire world, but for creative people, I would say if there's a specific style that you are starting to gravitate towards that you have or that you just like, you might not necessarily have that style yet, but that you're leaning towards, stay true to it because if you try to be everything to everyone, then you're not going to be as good in any one of those things as you will be in one or two strong styles or characteristics or categories that you really love the most. And in my case, for example, my designs are very colorful, they're feminine, they're whimsical. And in the times when I've tried to design things for boys or for men or for um, just types of products or companies that I wasn't into, that I wasn't passionate about, it always showed. I've been fired from freelance jobs because of that. There were times when I was super broke, when uh, my husband and I had moved. And, you know, when you, whenever you make a move, you always spend a ton of extra money. I had to come up with more cash. I was taking some freelance jobs that I would have never really taken if the money was a little bit more comfortable. And, it showed like the, the thing that I took, it was like for a funeral home designing programs. And the, the topic was obviously not something that was inspiring to me. I didn't necessarily want to be designing about someone who had died. And um, the particular style was not something that was my style, but it was in a moment of desperation of just needing some money to be able to pay our bills. And that's the time where I always feel like there are compromises you make sometimes where you say, okay, well, this job is still good and I can do a good job and I might not have to put it in my portfolio, but it's X number of dollars and it'll pay my rent. Fine. But this was the case where it was that plus my heart was not into it and it showed and the, the lady was, didn't like it and she fired me from the job and she was really unhappy. And that's, it's only happened to me a very few number of times, luckily, because I've learned from those experiences and I've learned not to take opportunities that I don't feel strongly about in some way. So that sort of transitions into my next big piece of advice is it's not about the money. Money is one of those things that yes, we need money to live. I certainly have a business where I need to make money to help support my family, but I will never take something just because of the money. If 
other factors about it don't feel right. Um, that's something that I learned early on with, you know, those smaller examples. But now there are other examples where it's very easy to see big numbers and for people to come to you and brands to come to you and want to partner with you. But there's so many things I turn down that people don't realize that I say no to because it doesn't make sense to me. And so I say yes to things that have a combination of, yes, it's worth my time. It's fun and interesting to me. It's something that I think I can grow from or challenge me in some way. And so there has there has to be a few factors there for me to want to to say yes. And I, I mentioned the money thing because a lot of times when I was doing consulting, especially with new bloggers, because blogging is one of those jobs that people see you up on the internet and they see somebody who all of a sudden came from nowhere and all of a sudden it seems like they have this big readership and they have this great thing going and it seems like it happened overnight. They don't necessarily realize all of the work that has gone on, but I've had so many people say to me, okay, how do I start a blog and start making as much money as possible right away? How do I start having advertisers right away? How do I start getting sponsored posts right away? And I think every blogger who has been doing it, who gets approached by a newer blogger might get that, but I could go on for an hour about why that the money shouldn't be your first thing when starting a blog. But it really, what it comes down to is when you love what you do, when you focus on your authentic style and your authentic voice, the money part of it and the being able to make a living off of this kind of job, which is so new still. And so, so random, it, it comes with time. It doesn't come overnight. And I don't think anybody who, who blogs for a living will ever say that for them, it happened overnight. No, actually, you know, it's interesting. Jenny Comenda from Little Green Notebook just recently shared a post about her direction with her blog. And she said this comment that stuck with me. And I thought it'd be interesting to share with you to see your thoughts on it. She said something about how bloggers lately seem to be dropping like flies. Obviously, there's more bloggers coming in every day. So I don't think she's talking about the general landscape of blogging as a whole. But I was wondering if you have any thoughts on that idea that bloggers are dropping like flies. Did she mean like ones that have been around for a while or just? That's what I was thinking. I And I want to ask her obviously this question, but I was just curious to see if you have any insights because I know from the more established blogging community, have you noticed any shifting like that at all? What I've noticed is that some of the bloggers who have been around for a while sort of are going through, and myself included, go through sort of a midlife crisis, if you will. I've had conversations with other blogging friends who have been doing it for as long as I have or close to as close to that amount of time. And, you know, honestly, this conversation to me happens every year, whether it's internal or external with other friends, sort of where am I taking this site? What am I doing? Do I still love it? Am I still interested in it? And I've seen some bloggers recently, uh, as from Creature Comforts is one of them, where I think she's actually taking a break. Um, you'll have to fact check that for me, focusing on another business and that particular, her Creature Comfort site. It will be there. She's not going to remove it, but it's not going to be like a daily blog anymore. And she's been blogging for, I think, seven, eight years, a pretty long time. And I always said, I remember within my first few years of blogging when it was still relatively new and it was growing, but it wasn't where I'm at almost 10 years now. I was like, am I going to be blogging until I'm 90? I mean, it's, it's one of those things <laughs> yeah. because no one has blogged until they were 90 yet, because it's still in the last 10 years that what we consider to be some of the older bloggers have been, have been doing it for up to 10 or so years. So I don't know. I mean, I think the question is there will start to be a time when some of the bloggers 
who have been doing it for a while, we'll just move on. And at some point, I will move on. I don't know when that will be. But for me, it's not necessarily anytime soon, because I still enjoy it. And there are still parts of it that um, I, I just keep to I keep wanting to evolve it. And I don't always know what that means, but I keep trying to evolve it and have it change with me and grow with me with not only my life and my work, but also with social media and technology and the internet and how that changes. So the the whole dropping like flies thing, I think it kind of just depends. I think there's, there's the, the older, more established bloggers who are maybe just seeing a new path for themselves and changing things in a certain way. But there's probably also some of the newer, younger bloggers where when you're starting every single day that passes, when a new blog starts, it becomes increasingly harder to stand out from the millions that are out there. I give people a lot of credit for starting a blog now because the competition that you have now is so much more. But at the same time, it's not competition in the sense that we're all competing against each other. It's just more stuff in the in the visual world, the virtual world for people to be able to see. It's attention, really. Exactly. And people can only take in so much. So really, it just gets harder to stand out, I think. And there are some bloggers who I will see and who have only been out a year or two, and they've really done a good job of capturing attention because they have a very specific style and a very specific voice. And to me, that's something that I am always very impressed with. And if I get to meet them or talk to them or email them, I always let them know that because I think it's really hard to do that these days. And so when someone can do it, I think it's a really great, a really great thing. Actually, you just touched on my next question. So what is the hardest part about blogging for you? There's a, there's probably two things. The hardest part for me is constantly having to think of new ideas. I consider myself to be a creative person. I think that's one of my strengths, but at the same time, creative people can't always be creative. And we certainly go through times when we just don't have ideas. There's not always these rainbows and sprinkles and glitter, like just coming from our heads. (laughs) And so for me, I mean, I recently, um, we're wrapping up the Oh Joy book, which comes out next fall. And we did a ton of projects for that. So already to be able to come up with, you know, 50 to 60 projects for a book and then still needing to create more for the blog on a regular basis. I mean, literally my brain feels like it's exploded and there are sometimes especially in my um especially while being pregnant and you know you're not 100% on your game some days I'm just like I really don't know what the next thing is going to be or how I'm going to come up with this idea but at the same time what I'm proud about about myself or at least the way that I'm able to pull out of it is I still figure it out I'm one of those people who will If I'm interested in something, if I want to do something, and even if at that moment when I'm approached by it, I don't necessarily know what it is that I'm going to do, what that final product is going to be, I still say yes, because I know I will figure it out. I work well under pressure. So maybe it's just the pressure of knowing like, okay, well, I need to come up with a concept for this post or this project or this design because there's going to be a deadline and at some point it has to happen. So while I have that feeling, I know that somehow it will all work out. And I also have a team of creative people and we can brainstorm and it doesn't all have to be reliant on me. I can feed or I can fuel from other, from my surroundings, from my team. And so that really helps too, because I think that when I was working by myself, there's a lot more pressure for it to just, just be me and not get any outside feedback or creative input. So that's the first thing is that is about the, the constant creativity can be hard. And the second thing is, is really anything negative that happens. I think the internet is a place where people can speak freely. Nobody's talking 
to you in person. It's not to your face. So it's a little bit easier for people to be negative and give criticism or not like you or say something. And, you know, honestly, for the most part, 95% of the time, my experience being a blogger and the people I interact with is positive. I think that I really try to create a positive place. I really try to make it such that we are bringing positivity. And it's not that I'm not open to constructive feedback or anything, but I think for the most part, what you put out there is what you get in return. And so I've always tried to keep it a happy place. That's just the way that I am. I tend to only look at the plus sides of things. And in some ways that might make me a little bit um, naive. You know, I don't always know what the worst things are that are going on in the world. I don't know about I try like in some ways I just I want to know about what are the best things what are the things we can be happy about what are the things that we can be uplifted by and so for the most part it's like that but then there's that five percent of time when I do something a lot of times it has to do with a sponsored post and people are either not happy with the brand that I have partnered with or the fact that I make money off of my blog in that way or different different things. I mean, it really all depends. But to me, I you know, it really does come to down to the fact that it still bothers me. It probably will never not bother me. I have learned over the years to let it bother me less and less. I have not yet gotten to the point where it just rolls off my shoulder. I wish I was there, but I'm not I'm not there yet. I don't know if I ever will be. But I try and take everything constructively. I try and I do read every single comment. I read every single email. And then I just sort of have to choose what makes sense to respond to when it is negative or when it's, I should say, not positive. And for the most part, I try to respond when I feel like I can and when we can have a conversation about it. But as I mentioned um, before, there are some times where someone is just not going to like something or we have a differing opinion or they feel so strongly about a certain topic that no matter what I say, it's not really going to help anybody. Um, and it's unfortunate because I would love to be able to have an open conversation about things, but at the same time, certain things you can't, you can't ever win. I think the biggest thing too that comes with it is that I really feel like I don't, I'm not apologizing for making my blog a business and I'm not apologizing for having my blog having turned into a business. I think it's an amazing thing that bloggers can have a business that's created from this virtual place that you would have never expected could exist or would exist 10, 20, 30 years ago. Here we are, people who have ideas, who have a strong point of view about something, and we're able to create a place that people want to come to. And I think no matter what that topic is, that's that's an amazing thing. And so for the most part, I think people, readers are happy for you. They enjoy coming. They get all this great content for free that they wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. And so I think most people are supportive of the fact that about how how bloggers monetize and however that happens. And I think as long as they trust that the bloggers that they are following have partnerships that make sense to them and that they are interested and excited about. And that's something that I always make sure I always make sure that it's something I'm interested and excited about, that it will still feel like a great place to visit and they're still getting great content and that they're still excited to be there. I think that all makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for sh sharing so openly about what's not always easy to talk about, the hard stuff. So what doubts or resistance have you had to face in your personal life? Because we've just shared the business stuff. Yeah. I think in my personal life, I still struggle daily with 
getting all the pieces together. So for example, after my daughter was born, I had a really hard time juggling everything and balancing everything. And as much as I thought I was going to have it nailed down, really, I struggled. I think it took me a good year and a half to really be able to feel like I was at a good place. And not that it was perfect by any means, but that I figured out, okay, what did I need to be able to make the different parts of my life work, my marriage, my role as a mother, my role as a business person, my role as a boss or whatever that was. And I think, you know, it's, it's really hard. There's some things that come up that you don't expect your relationship with your husband changes. You all of a sudden had just the two of you to focus on during your personal time. And now your attention is split between a child that needs you and wants you and you are doing your best to raise this little human being and we certainly had those moments where we didn't focus on each other and that's to me a constant thing I mean luckily we my husband and I we've been together for so long and we've been together since we were in high school at this point you know we're going to be celebrating eight years of marriage soon but like 18 years together in total so we've seen each other from being pretty much kids through early adulthood, figuring out our careers, figuring out ourselves, but also growing together. And in some ways that is great, but in some ways also it's like we know what we were like so far back then and we see how different things are now. And so sometimes it can be tough to say, man, we used to just see each other in this light, but now we see each other in this light. And I think that to me, one of the hardest things is constantly evolving in your marriage and your relationships as your life changes. Um, The same thing happens to me with friends. Certainly, I love my friends. I think that the support system that my friends gives me is unmatched by anything else. But when when you have less time because you have a child um, or because you have a business or because you're trying to spend time with your husband to make up for that time that you're spending on all those other things, then that's another thing that you have to try and figure out. Um, I, I feel guilty pretty much all the time about not seeing my friends as much as I want to, especially long distance friends. I have a lot of friends on the East Coast because that's where I used to live and that's where I'm from. And it's very hard to talk on the phone with a three hour time difference from LA to the East Coast. And a lot of friends who are, I consider my close friends, I rarely get to talk to on the phone very often anymore. It's how do we talk between naps or how do we talk after my daughter's in bed, but that they're still not asleep. And what's that window of time? So I think there's just a lot of guilt that I still have with the relationships I'm trying to maintain. Um, Work is kind of one of those things that when you're a business person, it takes over your life beyond nine to five. And so managing when that comes into your life outside of the nine to five work week can be tough, but then it's also how that affects all the other personal relationships. And, and again, it's sort of different parts of my marriage, different parts of my friendships. I've had to try and figure out, well, what's the, what can I give and what is realistic and what will people still, what will it be? What's that magical formula that they will still love me? They will know I still love them and that we can still maintain our relationship. And I think that's always something that I, you know, I constantly try and figure out. Do you feel like you figured it out at all? Um, no. <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's a few things. I think that with my husband and I, luckily he's very understanding in, sense, in the sense of 
He knows that I have my business. He doesn't get upset if I need to work at nighttime once Ruby's in bed. And I, I often do. I often work a lot after she goes to bed. So from like eight o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, I'm working, but I really try for it to not be like these all nighters. But at the same time, you know, at least a couple of times a week, I need to not work at night. And I think those are the nights that when we're both home, we don't have work events or we don't need to go out or we don't have things with our, with our friends separately, that just to be together things like watching TV or renting a movie or going on date nights. You know, we're pretty good about going out to dinner because going out to eat is one of our favorite things. To make time for that is, is super important. And that's one thing that we both constantly have to do. And sometimes we forget and we both get really busy. And then when we happen to do it by accident, we're like, wow, that was actually really nice hanging out with you for three hours, <laughs> just the two of us. And no one was on their computer and no one was, you know, there was, there was no interruptions or whatever that was. That I think is something we will continue to evolve and work on. You know, we have a second baby coming soon. So that will change again because the newborn stage and also just having more children in the house, of course. And then with friends, I mean, I think honesty for me has been the biggest thing. The guilt that I feel sometimes when I can't see friends or I can't always go out, I just at this point, I'm honest with them. I'm like, listen, you know, I love you. I would like to see you this time, but I can't this this one, but let's definitely get together in the next week or two. And the thing is, most people understand, especially my friends who are in similar situations. I have a lot of friends here in LA who are business owners, who are also have children, who are also doing a ton of different things that might not be like the traditional type of job. And so they get it. And so we, of course, we miss each other. And of course, we wish we got to see each other more. But when it does happen, even if it's once a month, or once every couple weeks, or whatever it is, or if we just make time for a quick phone call, you get that sense of like reestablishing your friendship. And honestly, it's like when you're really good friends with somebody, it doesn't feel like any time has passed anyway. So that's usually a good reassurance. And then for friends who are further away, it's one of those things where I probably feel a little bit more guilty about because it's harder to maintain that relationship. Sometimes we don't see them in person, but I always try to make sure to at least check in, even if it's with a text or an email, just being like, Hey, I miss you. I really want to talk to you. I really want to catch up all that stuff. And if for some reason we didn't get to do it, I just make sure that they know that I'm still there. Cause I think that it's easy to think that I've gotten too busy or that I don't have the time. And what it comes down to is, yes, we can always say we don't have the time, but you make time for the people that you want to make time for. So the people who I continue to want to have in my life, I do my best to make the time for, even if it's not as often as, as before, it's still just carving out whatever version of communication that we can have. That's so well said. Thank you for sharing that. So what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? Um, I think it's trust your instincts that I think can falls in the personal place as well as the professional place. Because a lot of times if you do something or you're going to do something or you're about to dive into something, whatever that is, you kind of feel a one way or the other about it. You feel super, super excited. You feel elated. You feel like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Or sometimes in the back of your head, something is off. And so trusting that to me has always been really helpful because there are often times, you know, I'll give you a small example where um, I, I mentioned jobs that I had not felt 100% about or that I'd gotten fired from. And those were ones when I decided to do them, I kind of knew in the back of my head, man, I'm not really into this. And that ended up 
playing out into the way that it, it didn't end up working out. And that's why. So I think trusting yourself and staying true to yourself is really important. That's so well said. Thank you, Joy, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Jess. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Joy, for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. If you would like to send Joy a message to let her know how much you love the show, please go over to Twitter and send her a message at Studio. Thank you guys so much. And I'll see you next week. 